writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. Welcome to Right Back Radio. This is your host, David Allen Lucas, author of mysteries, science fiction, poetry, and horror, often combining all of them. <laughs> and today we are actually doing a live audience recording at Writers in the Park in St. Louis. This is what the is fifth it? annual St. Louis Writers Guild Free Writers Conference. With me today is... Me? Uh, oh, my name is know. Jennifer Stolzer. I am a fantasy author and illustrator. And speaker today. Oh, very yes. exciting. Vidora <laughs> Amos, writer of Victorian whodunits like Jack the Ripper in St. Louis, and I'm president of Greater St. Louis Sisters in Crime. <laughs> Melanie Colaney, I write uh, science fiction, um, fantasy, and nonfiction. I'm Matt McGraw. I'm an amateur short story writer, and I'm working on a picture book called Patrick the Spider with my cousin Jennifer. And when, do, when that gets published, can you, you know, will you stop saying amateur writer? If I get paid for it, yes. <laughs> well, then you won't be amateur. Exactly. If I get dollars, then I will be professional. <laughs> but what about pesos? Those will work too, right? No, if okay. it's pesos, it's Bitcoin? still amateur. You're a Bitcoin. You're a Bitcoin. No, then I'll be a fraud. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> All right, I'm Brad R. Cook. Uh, beyond being president of St. Louis Writers Guild and getting to host today, uh, right, uh, the writers in the park, uh, I am also a author in my novel, uh, The Iron Horseman, comes out in November, and I'm a publisher of Blank Slate Press. And today with us are some special guests. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. We are very happy to have them. I'm going to throw out cousinly love first. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sarah M. Anderson. I write Modern Day Cowboys and Indians, where the cowboys often are the Indians, but they also have cell phones, pickup trucks, and occasionally advanced degrees because I hate a stupid hero. Oh. Yay. Yay. Oh. Paired. <laughs> I'm Margot Dill. I write uh, for middle grade and young adult. I have a historical fiction and a contemporary YA. I'm all over the place. I have a picture book coming out probably within two weeks, and it's funny. So, What's the title? Maggie May, Detective Extraordinaire, and the Case of the Missing Cookies. Yeah. <laughs> buy Margot's book. Yeah, buy, buy Margot's book. I bet I know what happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> that explains the milk I saw with you the other day. Anyway, real quick, our topic today is going to be submissions, worry, regret, and rejection. And I know recently, Jen, you just submitted something, and you're, you've been on edge. I've been very worried, yes. Uh, I've re—I think I mentioned in past episodes that I started requerying my novel. The first time I queried it, I got so discouraged that I put it in a drawer for almost a year because I didn't realize that I was so emotionally attached to other people's opinions. So even though it wasn't you, it's me was written on every single one of the rejections I got. The fact that I got them was troubling. So I had to go grow an armadillo shell for a little while. And uh, I've started requerying, and I'm pleased to announce that I have received a request for a full manuscript. Oh, wow. yeah. That, of course, does not mean that I'm published nope. yet. No. But, no. It, but it's the it's next step it's the in next the process. Step. So, that year helps. 
Even published people get rejections. Yeah, <laughs> I, got, I got one last week. <laughs> it's funny you should say that. Actually, what led to the idea behind this is I've got a friend on Facebook. She likes to everyone else. But she's a well-published author. I'm not going to throw out her name in case she does cancel <laughs> what she's thinking about doing. <laughs> is She's gotten so many rejections. And this, this woman's written, I don't even know how many mystery books, but a lot of mystery books. Had them well-published. And she's thinking about giving it up because of rejections, because of the pressure out there. So I've got a question for everybody here. How do you face the fear of submission? How do you face the rejection when you get it? And do you worry about what you submit? Well, the first one I think is the hardest because you're really putting yourself on the line. You're putting your heart and your baby out there for somebody else to look at and say, it's ugly. Mm -hmm. And they will. <laughs> and you probably know that they will. And so that the very first one is absolutely the hardest. But once you get back that first rejection, especially if they say anything at all that you can cling to as being a little bit good, then it doesn't hurt so much the next time. You're developing that thick writer skin that you're going to have to have probably if you want to really be a, a published writer. I think something that a lot of pre-published people have a problem with is that they do take it very personally and once you get deeper into the industry you really start to see that okay it didn't work for this editor but this editor loves it is really not you it is what that house already has what that house is planning for the next two years so you can still have a really fabulous book and you need to come to grips with the term that it is completely beyond your control it is not you at all and that's really something that again has to be learned over time and the hard way yeah. that is so true what if uh, what if in the case it is you though what if your query is terrible and you need to rewrite your first three chapters <laughs> okay as an acquisitions editor uh -huh. I, I kind of have some sway on this one it's never you oh okay it's never you I mean it might be the fact that you're a bad writer no just kidding uh, no, 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 no. excuse me it has nothing to do with that um, no, no no it really is and you know Sarah hit it right on the money that it is never it's always about the work and it's always about what the house is looking for. So it's an agent that's looking for something specific. It's a, a publisher who's looking for something specific. It's an editor who's looking for something specific. If you match that, you're in. And the stars have aligned, and that's awesome. If not, then there's another house out there that's probably looking for what you want. It's just the house you've submitted to. Maybe they pick something up that's similar to what you've got. You know, maybe they've, you know, just published something that's similar to what you have. So, yeah. I think that I... I recently heard this strategy of like you make a list of if, whether you're going agent or trying to submit yourself to like smaller presses make a list of like 10 and send your query to that first 10 and if you get no request for any more it could actually be your query letter and not your idea or your first yeah. pages but because you're not explaining your story correctly you don't have your hook right or something so then sort of rework your query, maybe get some advice and help, and then send it back out to the next 10 that you might be interested in, or five, whatever. Mm -hmm. And part of that learning curve is learning how to write a query, because writing a query is a skill set that is completely different from writing a novel or a story of any kind. And so there are some really classic mistakes that people will make their first time out that most people don't solve, figure out that they're screwing up until their second or third round of query. Um, yeah. Uh, what are some of those common mistakes in querying? Oh, I uh, because I do I do um, you know I have twelve books that are out. I do a lot of 
proofing and I will auction off critiques and whatnot. Um, it's when people are like, my mom really likes this book. Mm. Um, this is my dream and I really would hope that you could help me make it. Um, you know, I have poured my heart and soul, you know, where they make it very, very personal. There's no armadillo skin at all. Um, but they make it very, very personal. It's very much about them and you have to reject that person because they are clearly not ready to do business. Um, you know, you, learning how to, to write a business letter is writing a query letter. And being a business professional as, a as opposed to the person who is, this is the book of my heart, as we say in the romance industry, or my baby, or whatever. Please don't hurt it. That <laughs> <laughs> you know, makes you hurt it. It's one of the things that you just pointed out. A query letter is a business letter. It's a kind of a marketing business letter, but it's a business letter. And that is a different different. Uh, skill set that you have to have. It's also your introduction to that agent, that editor. They usually don't know you from Adam. They may have met you at a writer's conference and told you to submit, hey, fantastic. But generally, they don't know you, and you've got to figure they have got hundreds. I wish Brad had, Brad had stepped away for business for a moment, but they've got hundreds to <laughs> thousands sitting on their desk of manuscripts with um, people who have not edited their books. They have got people who have written crappy query letters. Hi, this is David. Please don't hurt me. Just accept this book. And it's kind of funny. We talk, Our opening theme kind of applies to that. Um, where, you know, here, please, I want to be a paperback writer. Publish me. And that's not how you actually get them to, to come to you. I think another really common mistake, I was just thinking, an editor on Twitter the other day posted this quote from a query letter, you know, insulting your genre, this is not a romance novel like those other stupid romance novels, <laughs> or insulting, you know, this is so much better than Harry Potter, if you're writing young adult wizards, right? Insulting your, com your, your, com the word, the word competitor, especially successful, like yeah, that's selling mm -hmm. billions of dollars. It's <laughs> perfectly fine to say this is a book that is similar in the similar style of Harry Potter or the similar genre of Harry Potter. But if you say it is so much better than Harry Potter, we already know you're full of it. Yeah. Um, something else that I've heard literary agents say is evidence that you really haven't done your research doesn't necessarily count you out, but really works against you. One literary agent said that she she was a new one, and said you know, and the query letter said I am submitting to you because you have successfully sold other books in my genre. She hadn't sold any books yet, but the point actually, but if that's true, that would have actually been acceptable in a query letter. Yeah. But it wasn't true. <laughs> I think you have a good point, Melanie, that we don't perhaps spend enough time looking at the websites of those agents and editors that we're interested in to find out what they tell us we ought to do because they have a set format in mind and they're not even patient enough to read anything that's not in that format. And so it's not that it's bad, they're not even going to read it unless you do what they ask you to do. If you can't follow basic instructions, they don't have any anticipation that they'll be able to work with you. And another really common one in romance particular is when, you know, the agent query says, Dear Sir, and you're dealing with a female agent. You know, that's just the kind of thing where you're like, yeah, You certainly no. ought to know the name. Yeah. Or, you should, or, or Dear Mrs. Sir, Madam. Or just, or, or, or dear, dear Agent. Yeah, that's an, yeah. That's even no. Dear Agent Smith. No. <laughs> but, but you know, it's kind of hilarious is the agents have gone out of their way to put down to the best of their ability what they're looking for on their websites and how to submit. 
And if you are not willing, as um, Sarah just said a moment ago, if you're not willing to follow their instructions, because, hey, I just queried two other agents with the same book. I'm just going to follow that guidelines. They can't be any different. Guess what? You just tripped yourself up. Right. And that's not good. So let's talk about submission process, and I'm going to go into worry, regret, and rejection a little bit more. Because the submission process is an in-depth part of traditional publishing. How do submissions work? Let's start off with that. What do you do? You write a book. You write a book. That's number one. <laughs> you finish the book and edit it. Yes. <laughs> and edit it well. And polish it. And polish it. And know that you're going to, know that if it gets accepted, you're probably going to have to edit it and rewrite parts again. <laughs> probably. Yeah. More than likely. Unless you're James Patterson, Stephen King, <laughs> the late Earl Stanley Gardner, <laughs> stuff like that. If you are you, me, and everyone else around this table, yeah, you're going to rewrite. Um, okay, so you get write this submission letter. You send the whole book in? No. no Did you read the not. instructions? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> the instructions. Yes. Good answer. You follow what the what the instructions say. Some 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 agents want five pages. Some agents want only X amount of whatever. Give them what they want. Don't try to give them more. Don't try to be cutesy with it either. And like, I think part of that part of that is. Um, <laughs> I think, especially for newer writers, they're like, well, the story really gets going in chapter three. That's when the excitement happens. So I won't send the first 10 pages. I'll send page 67 yes. through 83, and we'll call that a day. Bye-bye. No. Um, if your story doesn't get exciting until chapter three, then the first three chapters need to go. Yeah. Um, and so that's something that a lot of people, because those are words that they've really, they've wept over, they cried over, call me Ishmaeled over, and you need to, you know, if you, you want to put your best foot forward, so... Moby Dick was already written. It's already written. <laughs> In a previous episode, we talked about um, going to writers' conferences, and if they have agents there who read from the slush pile, go to that. Mm -hmm. Because you will see how quickly that agent will say yes or no with only maybe a sentence, and that's, all, that's as much time as you've gotten. Okay, so let's say you submitted. Yay. It's finally there. You, you you pressed you press send and you hopefully didn't catch a typo after yeah. you said send. Yeah. <laughs> Been there, done that too many times. Um, and it goes to the agent. Well, guess what? Most agents have got interns, or somebody's going to look at it first. This is why they have it in a certain format, or they want certain things, because their intern, who is probably in college, mm -hmm. trying to get through some high math or high other whatever course, and have maybe slept maybe two hours the night before looking at your query. And if it doesn't match that, you just wasted their time. And they're not going to waste their boss's time with that other submission. Congratulations, you got past that stage then the agent receives it. Let's say they like you. They want more. They've actually bought into this. Hey, we're, we're opening the doors here. The agent then takes your query to the other agents and said that are in the same firm as them and said, okay, we've got X amount of marketing dollars. Which of the ones we like are you going to support as a group? Yes, no, depends. And sometimes, too, they'll also go ahead and talk to editors if they know the editor wants something. If they haven't talked to the editor yet, that's their next step. They're now talking to editors to see if they can get your book out the door. Just because you got an agent doesn't mean you've gotten it published yet. There's still more steps. 
It's a very long process. And then if the editor accepts, you still got rewriting. You still got galleys to look at. And it's going to take you how long, ladies and, and Fred? How long? Uh, anywhere from nine months to two years. Or longer. Or longer. <laughs> or longer. Uh, if it's I, over two years, though, get a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> We're down to, for, for my Harlequins, uh, it's six months from when I turn in the book. So I okay. turned in the book in March. It'll be out in November, six to seven months. That's a quick turn. It is a very quick turn. But also, too, if you listen to it, Harlequin, and this is not a ding against Harlequin, this is a business model, is they're very much fast in, fast out. Their book is on the shelf for how long would you say? Uh, my Harlequins are on the shelves for about a month, and okay. then they're taken off. Take off. New Harlequins come on. Yeah. Quick so, reads. Right. They are, they're a very fast-producing novel publisher, and six months is a very short time, but that, for them, that's still a long time, if you think about it. And that's I think that's something that people really struggle with, is like, we hit send on a submission... Monday afternoon, and then you know people will spend the next week having panic attacks on an hourly basis, checking the email, scrolling the phone. Oh my God, I can't take it anymore! And you're like, settle in, Buster. You got months to go. Yeah. Um, sometimes it does move much faster. Email has made everything faster. When I first started submitting queries in 2009, I was sending off 50 pages of paper to people, and I get rejections a year later after I'd already been published. Um, but email has sped things up, but you will still, like, not hear, and it's hard to accept that. I got a request for a submission uh, a year later after I'd submitted it, and this was just a couple years ago. So it still happens, and you just send me an email, hey, is this still available? I'm interested. And I was like, yeah, it's still available, and I sent it off to him, and then it took, like, nine months for him to tell me, no, I don't want it. Yeah. I was like, so I'm like a year and nine months into this querying process. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. But. And that, that is a good point, that you need to keep track of where you sent stuff. Yes. Keep how good. much it costs you to send it, and keep good records of all of that, or you'll totally forget well, what well, you Well, luckily the where. days of snail mail are gone. I remember those envelopes and endless, yes. you yes. know, mails and uh, uh, sticker you know, I want, stamps. Okay, go, go to the back a It's been a long day. We talked about um, paying attention to what the editor or the agent wants as far as how you submit. There's a reason for that. As Brad just said, snail mail is gone. They're not taking home big briefcases of manuscripts, and that's however they did it. They're now reading a lot of manuscripts on their phones, their iPads, their Samsung pads, whatever. And they may be sitting, they, they've been reading it in between conferences, They've been reading it in between telephone calls. They've been reading it on the subway, etc. Wherever they can. They're working a lot. And you've got to really follow what they ask for. So what do you worry about as a, in, when you submit? You as a person. You as an author. I have trained myself to stop worrying. Because there's nothing. once it's out the door, there's not a dang thing I can do about it. It is better to direct all of that emotional energy into the next book, which you were going to write anyway, so get on with it. True. Amen. <laughs> and you mean which doesn't make it easier? <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to play um, what we call a cabbage head, and that's where the person, even though you know what the answer is, sometimes you don't. You ask the question. So you mean you don't just sit there and wait for them to tell you to, that you're published before you start writing another book? <laughs> no, it's shocking, but it's true. Yes. I, I did an online forum on revision on the Harlequin community, and people were like, "Well, I submitted it, but there's things I want to change." I'm like, "Let it go." 
work on the next book because often the submission process it takes a long time and then once you finally get there they're like what else you got and if you don't have something else then you are starting in the hole so it is so much better to go here is the next thing i also have isn't it wonderful <laughs> now i do have a question if you're trying to get book number one published and let's just say the book has series potential but um, do you start work on the next book of the series when book number one hasn't been bought? Or do you start on something completely different on the theory that this series may never go anywhere, even if this first book gets published eventually? That's a calculated risk that you have to make on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the next book in the series can be awesome, but, uh, you know, if it, they're like, well, this is great, but it doesn't quite work, so what else do you have? They do want a different series. They like your voice, but that particular whatever doesn't work. <laughs> I was just going to throw in, uh, it kind of depends. Has that been rejected yet? Because the old adage by the agents, and I think it's Donald Moss or one of those guys, uh, has the this thing that if you send it out and it gets rejected, you start writing another book. So in that sense, if you send it out and the, you know, the first of the series hasn't been picked up yet, maybe start writing something new. Wait until it's actually sold before you start writing the second. Because, you know... You don't want to waste your time writing a nine-book series that doesn't sell. Oh, nine books, yeah, that would be crazy. Yeah, or even three books, but, yeah. I would definitely say no more than three books. Well, see, if you're doing a big series, then you can go, like, up to five, and if you, that gets bought up, you'll maybe get seven, and then when you're George R. R. Martin, they'll be like, can you do two more? My, so. my editor specifically requested a never-ending family saga, so I had a very lousy father who had... 10 legitimate half-children and three illegitimate children that we know of because she wanted it to never end. But even though she specifically requested this series, she's only been able to buy, she bought three the first time and five, or two the second time. She's like, I can't buy anymore until we see how they do because I cannot make a long-term commitment to this series if nobody's going to read it. And that's how most series get done. Mm -hmm. The first book comes out, it does well, it gets picked up for like two more books. You do those two books, those sell well. Well, now, hey, how many more can you do? And, you know, the, the, you have to plan for that ahead of time. But if you look at, like, you know, I used George R. R. Martin a second ago. Uh, you know, it started out as a trilogy. It went to five. I think we're up to seven or eight or something like that now. So. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been currently reading the Skullduggery Pleasant series by Derek Landy, which is great paranormal kind of detective fun, and I recommend it. But uh, it ha- definitely wears the sign of that the first one did well, let's get more. Because the... <laughs> The plot lines that he makes, the first book has its own plot line that begins and ends. And then the second, you know, the next two kind of loop into a three-book plot line that begins uh-huh. and ends. And then there's a cliffhanger at the end of third one that then launches into the how many more you got plot line. Exactly. Harry that, Potter did the same thing. So it's a, you can you can see it when you know what you're looking for. You can kind of see the process in process while you're reading other people. Okay, what about um, rejection? How do you handle that? Put my book in a drawer for a year. <laughs> Chocolate. Chocolate. <laughs> Whiskey. Um. I think I think that um, rejection comes it comes when you are submitting, it comes once you're published, it comes mm-hmm. I mean it is just part of being in a creative field because everyone is not going to love you even though you think and hope that they will. And so I just go with those, like, stories of people that overcame great odds, like the help lady who, I don't know, over 30 rejections, 
you know, even J.K. Rowling had several rejections. It was like almost homeless or something. So I mean, 11, I think. there are several, several people who, and and I even look. I, another thing I do like, I with reviews is I'll look at other like people whose books I really liked. I'll go on Amazon and read reviews and like a book that I would give a five star review. There are people that gave it a one star review and said things that I was that I think are crazy, but it's so subjective. So that's how I try to deal with it. I try to think to myself that not everyone likes the same thing. My husband and I don't even like the same thing. So, you know, it can't, you cannot take it personally like somebody said, Sarah might said that. Well, there are categories of rejections. There are flat out rejections, one sentence. Your work doesn't fit our line, And at least you know that they don't put it. You don't know why or anything else. The next kind of one is a bit more promising, which says it doesn't fit our, fit our line right at this moment, but you might consider submitting again later. And then some that are actually quite encouraging and say, this doesn't fit our line at this moment. However, we like your character and would like to see more. And then there are rejections that I can't even tell are rejections, and that's the kind I hate the most, <laughs> because I got a postcard once that said, thank you for your submission. Okay. Yeah. And that's all it said. Did it have a picture <laughs> on the front? No. <laughs> a swear word, anything would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good rejection. I don't like the rejection. Yeah, was that a rejection confirmation. Confirmation. It turned out to be a rejection. And I couldn't tell that for another month, you know. <laughs> what do you guys do with your rejection letters? Assuming you get a letter. Sometimes Reject rejection email. is just silence. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, the rejection, the no news is bad news thing. I hate that. I hate mm -hmm. that. But I understand why it exists, because they've got a lot on their plate, and they're saving themselves just that much more time not having to copy and paste your email into a Well, sadly, a I guess. Oh. It is the sheer... Wait, I mean, you are talking about like thirty thousand in a year. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I can't even fathom that kind of, yeah, you know, slush pile. I disagree, though. I really think it's not that hard to email back and say this doesn't fit our line. Yeah. Hit reply I, to sender and include a standard form. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I just because because um, I think once somebody went that way, like once someone took the the initiative and said, okay, if you don't hear from us in six months we're not going to write you back, then everyone started to jump on board. Yep. And I think sometimes I don't submit to those places because it just makes me crazy. It's a long waiting period. I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to lie on that one. I completely agree. I don't like it. I much prefer, and in fact what I do is totally send her as personalized as I can get, you know. Having been the on the receiving end of the form rejection. Exactly. You try your best to... To give someone an attaboy when you reject them. It's not really an attaboy. It's, just, it's, it's easy. You've read the submission. Uh -huh. You know, there's something about it you liked, or there's something about it that they could probably work on, or something along those lines. You just pass that along. Mm -hmm. You know. But not everybody is as nice as you, Brad. That's probably true. <laughs> well, we appreciate your extra effort. Yeah. Well, and also, if you have, like, what is it? What did you say? Like 30,000 submissions in a year? The big agents. I don't get that. But the big yeah, agents that's like, still. That's how many, like, uh, it's like 100 a day. You know? Yeah. Like, I don't think, it seems like it's probably just like a defensive mechanism almost, where it's like, I just can't deal with this many, so I have to just start cutting corners somewhere. But if, the, if they have an intern doing it, an intern can deal with it. Yeah. An intern is vetting those, then I think it, 
I just think a response. Even a standard. I mean, even no if it's thanks. just a standard prayer plate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many of them did we get mailed? Like, anyone who's gone through the snail mail era probably has a drawer full yes. of so clipped fun. out, cut out, you know, that's not even a full page. They had printed a bunch on a page and they just cut them out. Yeah. Dropped it in env- your envelope, which yes. you sent them, your SASE, and bam, send it back to you. So, I... I God, I've got like a hundred of those things. You get a bookmark of rejection? Exactly. <laughs> so you do keep them, though. Oh, totally I've got printed one I keep all my rejection letters, all, all of it. It's, it's hmm. cathartic. I'll tell you what I wish I could do, but go ahead. Uh, I, I heard uh, about five years ago, so it's probably changed since then, but Kristen Nelson of Kristen Nelson Agency said every year they got 70,000 queries. Yeah. They requested partials on about 400. They requested fulls on about... 70 to 100, and they only signed 10 people. So that's, that's the odds you're up against, and that's why your query has to really shine and sparkle like the top of the Chrysler building. Uh, and it might also be a good reason to go straight to editors if you're able to and bypass that uh, agent because sometimes it's easier to get an agent after you have somebody who's interested in your book. I've known a number of people yep. who have managed it. Kind of backing around into it. Let's You'd be surprised. You get a book deal, how much an agent's going to pay attention to that? Yeah. <laughs> You've got a book deal and they know they can make 15% off that? They're like, hey, yeah, of course I'm going to. You've taken all my work away from me and See, I still I, get 15%. I don't know if I've heard that uh, strategy... Champion. Usually, or, usually it's like they've come through a contest or something like that, or they've submitted it to one of the houses or some editor who was at a conference and saw them and picked it up. Uh, the latest one was actually uh, that I heard about was a a woman who'd written. She worked as an intern for a movie studio, hmm. and she was going through her job was to go through their slush pile. Oh. And what she ended up doing was after the internship, going home and writing a book because <laughs> she didn't like anything that she had read in the slush pile. Uh-huh. And the movie company, she sent it to them. Uh-huh. They loved it. They picked it up to option the movie rights. And they're the ones who contacted the agent and said, you need to represent this person. She had an agent like that. She's got a multi-book deal. It's huge. The movie's going to be made about it. So and it can happen, but that, that is oh, not, yeah, the, yeah, that's that's not of, standard. It's definitely a shooting star kind of moment. Yeah. Can, yeah. I, can I mention something here? Please. I cannot tell you how many different sessions and workshops and clinics I've gone to. And one thing has always stood out to me. All of these successful people, they get up there and they tell their story. And it's all great and awesome and wonderful. But what it all really boils down to is this is the way I did it. Yeah. You probably aren't going to do it this way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But... The, what you're supposed to take away from that, though, is the the, the underlying pinnings of all of this is, is to do your homework, be prepared, you know, put in the time, put in the effort. And there's a million different ways you can do it. You just got to do it. Thank you for that, lovely member of our studio audience. Introduce yourself for the, the radio broadcast. My name is Laura Luttrell. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> and you bring up very good points that uh, you have to kind of forge your own path because you never know which house, what method is going to go. And there's a lot of different opportunities that present themselves through contests and things. Uh, so just because you got a rejection from an agent doesn't mean that your your story is over yet. You have other places to take oh, your work. Exactly. One caution about contests, make sure you read the rules completely. Sometimes you're signing up for something you don't realize. <laughs> That's true. And let me take that let me take that back one more step. On your research, there's this great website 
And I, I keep flipping the two names of it, so Google it. Either way, it will come up. Predators and editors. Predators and editors, and predators is spelled like editors. Right. <laughs> and pay attention to it. Out there is posted the ones who are editors, agents, and contest last time I look, of <clears throat> that are out there really just sit there and to prey on you. They and sometimes these are vanity presses as well, just FYI. One of the one of the things that I always tell people, it really does not matter what genre you are, there is a professional organization for you, whether it's the Society of Children's Books Writers and Illustrators, the Science Fiction Fantasy Writers of America, the Romance Writers of America, the Sisters in Crime. Um, and these larger organizations, you know, if you're starting out and this is the genre you want, they all vet the publishing houses, the editors, and the agents. They have requirements in order to be an approved agent. And that is, um, that is an excellent start for someone who does not know the industry, does not know the rules, to have, have that pre-screened so that you do not sign up with a predatory agent or editor who will um, you know, bleed you dry. So always look for your professional organization. The dues are usually under 100 bucks a year, and it is completely worth it for, for that list. I just like to put in a plug of Romance Writers of America, even if you don't write romance, has a lot of good resources even for non-romance oh, yeah. writers. Yeah, really do. Real quick, and sometimes um, the genre um, groups, genre guilds, like a fair way of saying it, sometimes you can't join them right away because you are you have been, you haven't been published yet. Or you haven't had enough publication yet. Doesn't matter. Go on to those websites if you've got access to the agent information. Look and see who they're recommending. It's still a great, great resource. So, what are some of the, if you're going to say it, what are some of the oops that you have done when you submitted? Uh, I sent a query to an agent and I forgot to write a personal intro and I forgot to put my contact information on the end so they only knew me as Jen and nothing else. <laughs> How did you discover this mistake? Uh, I uh, looked it up later in my Gmail files and noticed that that happened and was embarrassed and uh, actually it was wild because when you get a full manuscript re re requested it's polite and expected to send an update to everyone who's currently in possession of your query letter so I was sending my oh by the way I'm being considered email and I added an apology for the state of my query on the end of it because I was really embarrassed for, for Disobeying rules I knew. It was a shame. I got a uh, full request at my very first conference for my very first really terrible book from an editor who took pity on me. Oh. And so um, my mistake was that I was typing my letter in the email file instead of in Word, where it would be safely contained. And I accidentally sent half of a query letter. Oh. And I was like, oh, shoot. Shockingly, she didn't want that terrible book. I don't understand. Oh. Who knew? <laughs> Yeah, that's a great tip. Uh, write write your emails in Word files and even save them so you, you could cut and paste later from there uh -huh. into emails. <laughs> One of the good things about submission by email, you still have a copy of what you wrote. Back in the day when you did mailings, you made photocopies and hope, and hope you knew where that was located at. Bad habit, and this stuff is really super embarrassing. Is I tend to catch a typo. I don't care how many times I've read it, reread it, read it from backwards to forwards, forwards to backwards. As soon as I hit send, oop, there it goes, and I'm watching it go. It's a typo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, eventually if you send out enough queries, this happened to be applying to grad school, but of course, this was in the days of snail mail. The two letters got in the wrong envelope. Oh, yes. yeah. I got into one of those schools, by oh. the way. <laughs> that can happen, even in the email version. Yeah. Especially you if... You cut and paste the wrong one. Uh-huh. And if you have multiple outgoing email accounts, make sure you're sending it from the proper one as well. Yes. Now, I have uh, I have an illustrator, so I have an illustration account, and I have uh, a personal account, and I also have a junk mail account. And you don't want to send a junk mail account by accident, and your name is something like, this doesn't matter at gmail.com. <laughs> and by Minus the way, I that's, hate you that's actually <laughs> Believe it or not, that's extremely important. Not so much make sure you send from the right email address, but consider what your email address is. Yeah. If you don't have an email address that looks professional, get one. It's not hard to do, and doesn't that necessarily going to cost you anything. If you have an email address that says burntheworld@yahoo.com. <laughs> Pretty good sign that person might not want to hire you. If you have anything at AOL.com, you're just out. Yeah, that's a problem too. Now, if your if your email address is burn the world and that happens to be the title of your book, yeah, that's a different story. <laughs> See, even then, I don't recommend that because you're just going to have that one book be your yeah. professional. I don't know about you all, but we're all in this for the career. Yeah, and Man. I do, and that's the same thing I would also recommend for Twitter. Um, because I, I always, you always see the new people who are like, "Mommy's writing is her yeah, Twitter right. handle," and you're like, eh, "No, no." I think it's better to use your name, your name, either your name or your pin name, for everything, like for your email, for your Twitter, for your Facebook, for Goodreads, whatever, for your website. Because when I, when I, when you're in the business for a while, and then you start meeting people, you like, I'll be looking up an email, and and if I'll just want to type their name into my address book because I can't remember it or whatever and I and then it's not even anything close to their the person's name that I'm trying so then I have to go back through and try to find so it's just easier I think if you use your name I think that's a very good point because it points to something that we mentioned earlier that this is a career and your career is based upon a lot of different pillars and it's not just whether you can write a great book it's also whether you can promote that great book first to your agent then your editor then the public at large and it's whether you can have a unique personality a distinct website that says this is somebody that you can't miss this is a unique person who writes unique books that you must read so it's all part of a career development idea, and you need to think broadly. Look at the big picture. And with that, does anyone else have anything to worry and regret or rejection? For those of you who haven't queried yet or aren't currently querying, what is one of your chief concerns about querying? I'm looking at Matt. I'm looking at Matt <laughs> too, actually. I'm uh I am hoping to be querying soon with I'm hoping uh, you're querying soon too because that's Although I did read somewhere that you're not supposed to query with an incomplete product so Really not recommended no. Yeah, I can't do that. I can't do it quite yet. But yeah, I'm hoping to be soon. I just I don't know. I'm reading a lot of like here's how you format it but like and look at the uh, agent requirements and all that. 
So I'm very interested in all this, but I have very little to contribute because I've never been rejected because I haven't even tried yet. <laughs> I could reject you right now if you would get you. Would that get you? We can do a panel rejection right here. <laughs> Bam. Okay. Well, like the first three out of the way. I am so not ready to query. I am writing what I term a drawer book. I'm writing with the intention, not worrying about if it's publishable until it's finished. I might change my mind. I might not. It'll, I'll see when it gets finished. But if I do query it, one of the things is, okay, what genre is this going to be in? You know, what age group? Something I'll figure out once it's finished. But also, it's like, okay, everyone says, you know, compare it to two books. Or compare, you know, this is Harry Potter meets whatever. It's like, okay, so one of the reasons I'm writing this book is because it's different than some of the other books. It's not completely unique, I'm sure. But it's like, okay. What author should I be reading so I know, you know, a year or two from now what to compare it to? Mm -hmm. I think comps are really hard. They're really hard for me. Some people are so good at them. Like, they'll just come up with them. Like, my book is, you know, Twilight meets, uh, I can't even think of Walking Dead or something. I don't know. I mean, they just come up with this stuff, you know, and I'm like, I can't do that. I mean, it takes me hours to come up with the comps. Can you do, like... Could you do like other mediums? Like, could you do movies? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. all the time. Anything that gives someone a picture in your head of what gives them a picture in their head of two fairly well-known things that um, you know they could compare your book to. I've heard uh, industry persons uh, say in talks before that they would prefer that half your comp be a book oh. and probably a book that came out in the last five years. Yeah, I have heard that to make it try to make it recent. So it's a. Uh, that is hard because as much reading as I've been doing uh, in my genre, the genre isn't really acceptable. Like it's not a, it's not prevalent with my style of fantasy at the moment. So when I'm reading and it's like it's a, a, a paranormal romance, and I didn't write a paranormal romance, but all of them have a romantic element to them but it's a big part of my story that it's a friendship element, and it's like, i got to find a book that's about a friendship, and that's hard. And I spent as much time looking, asking other people what they were reading, if it had anything to do with the theme I was trying to put forward. It was tough. It's tough to find comp titles. Yeah. Okay, I thought one of our audience had something. Yeah, I don't even do comp titles, because it's... it's I would much rather focus on a strong 30-word book that uh, sums up my characters and grabs the reader than, you know, be like, it's the Phantom of the Opera on the High Plains! And people be like, what the heck? I'd read it. Well, that's, that's the whole purpose of a high concept anyway, is to hook readers, and if it's if something else does it better, do it better. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I was thinking this comparison might be more important for world-building novels like fantasies, because if you're reading, if, for instance, if you're writing a Western romance, that the person looking at it already has a picture of the setting in general terms. But, you know, if it's on an alien planet, there's as many versions of alien planets as there are planets, so... Yeah, they want to know if it's on Tatooine or on Pandora. Yeah. It makes a big difference. True. I would much rather be on Tatooine. <laughs> I don't think I want to be on Tatooine. Yeah, but on Tatooine, I can see here. the things coming that are going to eat me. On Pandora, it just comes out of a giant tree. Luke's family were moisture farmers. They're yes. farming moisture. moisture. That's an arid desert we're talking about. So in other words, it's just like today. Yeah. No, no, uh, we have high humidity today. Okay, good point. So they would love us. But <laughs> I guess they had the dry heat on Tatooine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, and on that note, I'm going to end this recording of Right Back Radio. Next week, we'll be back and have a good week writing. Thank you. Hit the button. Raise up. Hit the button. <laughs> right Back Radio would like to give special thanks to Steve Langhorse for taking the photos of our recording. We would also like to thank St. Louis Writers Guild for inviting us to record at their Writers Conference. Founded in 1920, St. Louis Writers Guild is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with the mission to further Missouri's literary heritage, connect, support, and promote writers and literary organizations in the community. St. Louis Writers Guild holds monthly workshops for writers, open mics, and an author series. Annually, it holds Writers in the Park, a holiday book fair, and four writing contests, as well as other special events. For more information, you can find them on the web at www.stlwritersguild.org or on Facebook or Twitter. Tune in next week as a right pack takes on other issues in the writing industry. Theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her.